Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hey everyone, before we get started with today's podcast, I wanted to mention that I'm offering one-to-one emotional sobriety coaching sessions. You can book one-off sessions with me or get bundles of coaching that also include access to the Thrive Sober community. All coaching is to be booked by application as I only have so many places to offer and I really want to work with people who are deadly serious about getting and staying successfully sober. Head over to sassysobermum.com slash coaching to find out more information and submit your interest. Okay, let's dive into the podcast. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm chatting to Mike from Barnstable, uh, which is North Devon. Absolutely love Barnstable, been many times. And he's been sober nearly four years. It'll be four years in June. Uh, So we're on a similar path there because I'm four years this month. So lovely to have you join us, Mike. Thank you for making the time for me today. Thank you for inviting me as well. <laughs> no, absolute pleasure. Um, why don't we get to know a bit about who you are? Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, um, obviously I'm Mike. Um, I'm 39. Um, I've got three children. I've got three, um, a 10-year-old, uh, Devlin, he lives with me, my oldest. And I've got two other children, Carter and Bailey. They're seven, seven and eight. Um I'm a single dad, obviously. Um, I've just qualified, well, last year, to, I'm a qualified chef. Um, yeah, I qualified, after I come out of treatment, um, I went straight into college. I was told not to jump in at the deep end, coming out of treatment straight away, but I had to because of the time scale, because college had just started in the September. And um, yeah, um, and then obviously we got put in lockdown in 2020 mm. when I was at college so um I was panicking whether I would complete my course or not but um I managed to get enough practical in to complete that qualification and then um oh. I went back a year later and I'd done level two um but um halfway through obviously it was hit and miss with the lock we were getting locked down again in 21 mm. and then um unfortunately well my mum passed away and uh, um, April 2021 so um, I made a, a conscious decision and I took a break from college took an abs- absence at leave and um, I was under the knowing whether I would um, finish it or not but yeah um, after a few months I um, decided that I was going to go back and I went back in the end of 2021 well September 2021 and yeah I qualified last year so um, and that, that was a um, a massive achievement for me because um, I didn't do well at school. Um, yeah, school wasn't really good for me. Um, mm. So um, to come out of treatment and then go to college and get two qualifications, oh, um, that's yeah, it's a massive, um, massive achievement for me. So um, yeah. I'm currently looking for work at the moment. But um, yeah, that's my, um, I've had a pretty chaotic life, hence why um I'm nearly four years clean, etc. So, um, but yeah, that's a bit about me. Awesome. I'm really excited to get into your story. Why don't you take us back to the beginning? Um, 
out my fat like I grew up in a generation um where alcohol was accept was acceptable. Um mm. my my granddad was um a prolific um drinker, a gambler. And um I think my earliest memories of alcohol was when I was about seven or eight and um I went to the pub with my dad on a Sunday. He used to go and collect his wages. And um yeah, my granddad taught me how to canobble, which is a, a obviously gambling and um yeah, and that that was the norm. It was socially acceptable for children to be in a pub mm. at that time, you know. And um, so I sort of grew up around alcohol, gambling, and um, I didn't really get told it was bad. You know, it was, yeah. um, I never got, don't do this, it's it's bad for you and stuff like that. So I, I, I was a bit, by the time I was about 13, 14, I started to experiment with um, alcohol properly. Um, I was in the army cadets. Um, so I'd go out camp like on camps and stuff like that. And we'd all sneak alcohol in. And, um, I grew up in a little village called Lanky, which is just outside of Barnstable. And, um, I'd go camping all the time with me friends and yeah. Out, so to start off with, it was mainly alcohol. Mm. And, um, I, I did have like, there was, yeah, I've, I've got a massive family and um there was there was lots of violence there's lots of drugs around me growing up so I, I i didn't really know right from wrong and like that doesn't excuse my behavior for later on in life but i just didn't really i never had any i had my dad in my life but um my dad suffered from um a drug problem at the same time as well so i, I he was my role model but after going to treatment, I, I understand what role models mean and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he was and he wasn't, you know, and um, yeah. there was uh, my mum and dad were married up until I was 21. So there was I, I didn't come from a broken home, but there was lots of other issues and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, my both my parents loved me and they tried, you know, they both did their best. So I just when I hit 16, um, I started to experiment with cannabis um um ecstasy mm. um like the recreational things and yeah. um and then um I, my nan passed away when i was 12 she was like close to me but i think when i was yeah when i was 16 um i had a credit card shouldn't off but they gave me a credit card and mm. i was going around um blasting it with my friends mm. didn't realize that i was a doormat and they were they were my friends but they were walking all over me at the same time and um but then um yeah when i in june 2000 um one of my friends we all went up the river one day and um, he drowned in front of us oh. well not in front of us he drowned he'd gone off and yeah he drowned so um that was one of my um first experiences of trauma God. so um i I didn't really deal with it. I was 16. I didn't have the capacity or the understanding mm. how to process trauma and stuff like that. So I just mm. carried on being reckless, really. And then um, I, I had jobs on and off up until I was 19. But I I just, I was interested in going out partying mm. with my friends every weekend. And um, yeah, things weren't good at home for me at the time. So I was sort of sofa surfing, you know, I was from one person to another. And then when I was 19, um, I started working with my dad. He took me on, et cetera. And um, 
yeah, it was good to start off with. And um, but like I was just saying, um, you shouldn't really work with family, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I was working with my dad, and I was living at home at the same time. So trying to maintain a, a relationship outside of the house with my dad at work, it was um, it was very tough. It was mm-hmm. it was very draining on us both. And then he still had his problems at the time, and I um, I just wanted when I finished work at the weekend, I just wanted to go out and, and party and stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any responsibilities at the time, and um, but my dad didn't like that. Um, he struggled to accept my behaviour, obviously because of my, I had my brother and sister at home as well, so I, I, I got that, but I didn't even get that. It still didn't stop me from going out and partying. And then I think up until I, just before I turned 21, I was still working with my dad, but our, our relationship was, it, it left my mum by that time. And yeah, our relationship was, it was pretty fractured. And then um, in February 2005, um, my brother passed away in a, a car accident. He was um, oh. 15. Jeez. And um, yeah, he went out with his friends and um, they were joyriding. And um, it was two cars. One was legal and the other one wasn't. And um my brother swapped places with the people just before he was in the other car, but he swapped places and he got in the other car. And then, yeah, they um, ended up going round the corner and they went head on into a bus. So, um, yeah, that was my, another, another point of trauma. But this time it was more, it was more than a friend. It was my brother. And yeah. um, it was, it was massive. Like, I think it set, set my path of the way I behaved for a, a long period of time. Um, I, I used alcohol and substances on top of his death to try and maybe take me away from reality and what I'd yeah. lost. But um, I wouldn't know that down, I wouldn't know two years down the line that mm. it didn't take me away from reality, but it still didn't stop me. You know, I, I think for about 10 years on and off, I went on a path of self-destruction, literally. I, I loved everyone around me. But I didn't love myself. So, mm-hmm. and in the process, I didn't care about the damage that I was inflicting upon myself, but like the consequences of my addictions, what was happening to, around me to other people. And um, yeah, so I had jobs on and off, up in like working in factories and stuff like that, but I just couldn't maintain it maintain a job with what I was doing at the same time. You know, I'd, I'd go out on a Friday a massive bender, go out yeah. drinking and come Monday, I'll be phoning in sick and mm-hmm. stuff like that, coming out with all the excuses. And I think after a period of time, in, you know, there's only so many excuses you can make before they turn around and say enough's enough. Yeah. And that was quite um, apparent and frequent throughout my jobs. I mean, I worked with my dad for a long period of time. That was the longest time I'd kept the job down. And then, um, and when I got to, when I was 29, I met someone and um, she she fell pregnant quite early in our relationship. But we wasn't we wasn't really together. But I made that decision that I'd stand by her. And um, she had mental health problems at the time, and um, I didn't really understand uh, mental health problems. And then yeah, it was Devlin, my oldest, come along in 2012, and um, I really thought that would be the game changer I really yeah. thought that would change my life it did change mm. my life obviously for the better yeah but I really thought that 
having a child would um, mm. calm me down. And uh, it did for about six weeks when he was born. I, I didn't touch anything. I was adamant that that was it. I was done. And then, yeah, I went round to a friend's and it started off. And then obviously I, I got a flat with my partner at the time. And um, my addictions become worse because I, I could hide them from people. I didn't like have to go around people's house partying anymore. I had my own flat and I could do exactly yeah. what I wanted. Yeah. And, you know, I feel now I've been in treatment later on, I've, I've looked back and because Devlin was a baby, I thought that my behaviour was acceptable and I could get away with it. And I didn't understand the long term damage that it would it, that it would be in the future. And um, there was some there was lots of uh, domestic abuse between me and his partner and something that I'm not proud of. Um, I, I didn't understand about mental abuse, how much mental abuse can be worse than physical abuse, you know, and um, mm. she was quite physical towards me and um, no one believed me for mm. quite a while. And I I was quite ashamed to admit to people that she was attacking me on many of occasions. And, um, but then my behaviour was unacceptable with the, you know, I thought saying things to her was better than, you know, laying a hand on her, you know, and it wasn't, it was just as bad. And then our relationship um, broke, broke down, but um, I kept Devlin. Devlin stayed in my care. And um, usually nine times out of ten, the child will normally end up with, with the mother. That's the way it, it normally goes. And, um, but obviously with Devlin's mum's mental health, um, he stayed with me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was a long battle. And then um, in two, and I was still – I had my mum to help me a lot. And um, my mum actually nearly mm. passed away in 2012, but she um, she came out of a coma. They told us she wouldn't make it, but she came out of a coma two weeks later. And she lived to tell that tale. So um, I had, like, my mum, now I've been to treatment, I understand aspects. My mum enabled my behaviour for a long time, not on purpose, but like she looked after Devlin because she knew that if she didn't, I would, do what I was going to do anyway so she was trying to protect Devlin and stuff like that and my sister helped out a lot so I had a lot of help so if things went wrong I always knew that I had people there to help me which was a good thing but it was a bad thing for me at the same mm -hmm. time as well yeah and then in 2014 I met um another another woman and um I eventually had two children with her Cartman Bailey and um yeah, I, I I did I loved the woman, you know, but again there was lots of there's troubles from my past. Mm. Um there was troubles from her past and stuff like yeah. that, you know, and mm. that's what sometimes draws people together. Mm. But then in the long term, it's not the right solution, you know, because things were good between us, but then things were very toxic between us. And um and at that point I moved in with her when Carter was born, he was two months old. And so I gave up my flat, she gave up her flat and everything was okay. But then it wasn't because my, then it become hard for me to manage my addictions because at that point I was addicted to alcohol and um, amphetamine and it had got a hold of me, but it become more, I couldn't do it the way I used to when I had my own flat, I could hide, I, I could hide and stuff like that. So, um, and then in two, yeah, 2015, um, there was lots of arguing, lots of, 
stuff and people involved. And um, yeah, she called the police and um, I got arrested. I know the police got called because of a domestic incident. And then I had to leave the home and um, Devlin went to live with my sister and um, Carter stayed with my partner at the time. And um, But I did know she was pregnant with our second child as well. So I, I went to stay in a B&B, but they put me, um, I explained to them about my problems and stuff like that. And they put me above a pub yeah. in the B&B in emergency accommodation. So, um, and I just happened to know the person who just took the pub on and he offered me a tab straight away. Oh God. So, um, after that point, um, yeah, my mental health, um, just started to de- deteriorate. I didn't have Devlin with me. Um, I lost my home and my partner at the time. And, <clears throat> um, then one day, um, it's not my proudest moment. Um, I tried commit suicide um I tried to jump in front of a train um Mm. it's yeah it's I just at that moment in time I thought that um the best way for me to end to end things was to stop hurting people around me yeah and but yeah lucky enough um I tripped and it scared me and um I ended up in hospital for three months on the um mental health ward and that's when I just started to get help properly. And then um, in October 2015, I went to a, my first stint in treatment. And um, But it was a place that was only four miles up the road from me. And um, when I went there to have my assessment, um, it was like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. You know, they, they sold me everything. They, get, they sold me that golden ticket. And then when I got there, there was just, um, so I've got a warped way of explaining things. There was just, um, there was no chocolate there at all. And there wasn't, you know, um, I didn't have any therapy. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing I learned was to play pool, snooker and fish. And then after 10 weeks of being there, the woman decided to offer me my counselling. And I just, you know, I, I was a bit, yeah, I, 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 I said to her, how do you expect me to try and deal with my past within when I've got two weeks left Mm. so for 10 weeks I was just left to my own devices and then yeah I came out and in 2016 and then my second child my third child um, Bailey was born but he was premature six weeks premature and um, he was quite poorly he got sepsis so he was really really poorly for the first three three months and then um but yeah, and I, I was still clean, and at that point, I was engaged fully with the alcohol and drug drug and alcohol services, and I was going to meetings, relapse prevention groups. I was doing AA and stuff like that. But um, yeah, my relationship it it started to deteriorate as much as I was home and stuff like that. Um, I hadn't dealt with the demons of my mm. past; they were still there, you know. And um, the only thing that helped me the only thing that was good in my life at the time is that I was clean so um and then I split up with my partner at the end of 2016 and I moved into temporary accommodation um with Devlin obviously Devlin came with me and I was in a hotel for six weeks in Barham Gate and then I got a flat in 2017 but there were still things between me and my ex-partner you know um I I would have jumped hurt. I would have jumped 
climbed mountains to get back with her, you know, and but I didn't realise how damaged the relationship was. And then, um, yeah, she, after a few months, she moved on and she met someone else. And, um, yeah, that was quite hard to, um, hard to deal with. And um, in 2017, I relapsed after being two years abstinent. And, um, like, when I, when people, like, relapse, like, they just, they can get back on it. They can get back on the wagon and stuff like that. But unfortunately for me, um, the wheels come flying off. They mm. literally come flying off in all directions. And um, and then I was still having contact with my two children every week. But then that just started to deteriorate. And I, in the end, I didn't return them one day. And um, I had a call. I had the children got removed from me, which wasn't very pleasant. And um, and then a few weeks later, my ex-partner made some accusations about me relapsing, and which was true, but what she said wasn't true. And um, I admitted to the judge what had happened. And from that moment in time, he said, you can't see Carter and Bailey until you sort your life out, which I get at the point I didn't. I was, um, I was very rude to the judge I was very angry but um and after, you know I look back and reflect on that now that clearly didn't help me at all and then in 2018 I managed to stay clean for five months and um because I was determined that you know I'd, I'd been there before and I was going to do it again but and this time I was doing NA I was doing NA meetings mm. and stuff like that with like help from my mum watching Devlin and um, I really got into it, but um, I couldn't grasp the steps. I couldn't, and I, I understood them, but I just couldn't grasp the 12 steps. And because I, I, I when I went into treatment the first time, I didn't get offered any AA meetings or anything like that. So, and um, yeah, in was it May, 2018, I relapsed again and um yeah and for that period for 18 months on and off um my life was just um absolute chaos it was absolute carnage um but I still had Devlin you know um and I was still go like my mum would watch him or his gran and yeah I was just every weekend I, I was giving myself permission for being a single dad that I was rewarding myself because he was going off. I thought this is my reward for being a single dad, you know, and yeah. um, which is quite self selfish, really. Now I look back on it, and um, you know, I was always there for Devlin, and I did my best. And but emotionally, um, I wasn't present for a long time. I and I couldn't see that. I didn't understand that, you know. And um, by the end of 2018 I was still engaged with the drug and alcohol services and I was doing relapse prevention groups and um by that time I said to my count my, my key worker I, I would like to go to treatment again but I thought because I'd been to before they wouldn't accept me mm. but they did and um then I went to a place called well after about six months it took um I went to a place in Western Soup well I went for a referral start off with it's, it's called um Sefton Park and um, it's a therapeutic community, obviously with treatment as well. And I went there, and they accepted they accepted me in the February of 2019. But I had to wait four months for the um, funding. And then, yeah, on 
and for those four months, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty chaotic as well. Yeah. It was just um, I didn't, even though I knew I was going to treatment, I still didn't care. I, I did, but I mm-hmm. thought this is my time to do what I, you know. And then, yeah, in June 2019, the the last time I used was on the 17th of June. And I went into treatment on the 21st of June. And um, my key worker was supposed to pick me up the day before, but um, she wasn't well. So the next day I had to catch a train all by myself, which I'm quite capable of, but yeah, to go to rehab on my own. So um, when I was on the train, um, there was a massive hen party going and um they offered me a drink and i said you know it was quite funny quite comical i said you wouldn't believe it if i told you i said i'm literally on my way to rehab oh. and they were like they were quite shocked but they said you know and um so that was sort of the first tough thing for me was before I even got to treatment you yeah. know and then um yeah i got to sefton park on the friday and um yeah it was quite scary because i was there's about 30 people in there and um, I first met my counsellor, Lorraine, and um, she was up, you know, she was going to be my one-to-one counsellor. And then I'd have a vocal counsellor and then obviously I'd have my group sessions. And within like the first 10 minutes, she turned around and said, um, what, what do you want from this? And I explained about my tra- trauma being one of the main things that I've never really dealt with and I've, I've always used on trauma. Yeah. or relapsed and stuff and um she said oh, I'm going to be blunt with you and um she said I'm going to tell you how it is a spade to spade and I won't tell you any different she said I'm here to help you understand the aspects of your life and what therapy can offer you she said but I'm not here to make you better and stuff so it was I was like taken back by that but in a good way I thought this is what I need you know I, I don't need people sugarcoating things because people mm. sugarcoated a lot of my um, behaviors and stuff like that and then like the first two weeks you get put in like an alpha group and it sort of it breaks it gets you ready for your journey to go further and further and um, because I've been to like relapse prevention groups and stuff like that in the past I was quite um, I was very vocal because I thought that's what I'm there for. I'm there, you know, this is I, I seen it as this is my last chance now to get myself better. So I'm going to I'm going to grasp everything. I, I was a bit like a sponge. I absorbed mm. everything, and then I went on to the next phase. And but by that time, I was um, I didn't realize how chaotic I was without drugs and alcohol. You know, um, because obviously that masked me being chaotic for a long time mm. and. Yeah. Um, I was very, and um, I understand that when I was walking to get a coffee and saying hello to everyone, I didn't understand a session and they could have been talking about things in their life that has affected them. So I was quite, yeah, and then I got told a few things by a few people. I got told a lot of home truths, but um, I needed to understand that. You know, I needed to learn those home truths because... But then, you know, and I clashed with one person, you know, and, and that's when I learned about um, transference, you know, when you see someone else's behaviour that someone has exhibited in the past and that sort of freaked me out. Mm. And then, um, yeah, I was there for, I came home for a month throughout treatment and um, I came home after no, two months I'd been there and I came home 
And um, yeah, that was quite t- tough. You know, um, the first time I got back in, I see my friend and he offered me to go to the pub just for a Coke. And I was like, I can't do that, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff yeah. like that. Whereas in the past, I would have done it. I would have said, yeah, I'll just have a Coke and stuff like that. But I knew this time that wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, I went back in. I finished Sefton Park in September 2019. And um, yeah, it was it was one of the hardest things of my of my life, um, being away from Devlin, um, being away from my family and my friends. But um, it was the best 12 weeks of my life because it taught me that um, I, I understood my, I learned to understand myself. I learned that I could manage day-to-day life without alcohol and substances in my life, you know, and um, I, I, I understood a lot of thinking strategies, techniques to, um, and in the past, like I, I'd never, um, I'd never opened up with my feelings. I'd won a mile. I'd go and use or drink to mask my feelings. Whereas when I was in treatment, it, it taught me how to, if I'm, it's okay to be vulnerable, you know, mm. it's, that's okay. It's okay yeah. if the way you're feeling and if you need to get help, reach out. Whereas in the past, I, w- I wouldn't have reached out. Mm. And then um, in when I came home, like that's when I said I enlisted into going to college and um I went back to together, the people that are uh, the drug and alcohol services, and they asked me to become a volunteer. Wow. So um, so I, 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 they threw me in at the deep end as well. And then so I started doing volunteering and um, I was running relapse prevention groups, helping to run relapse prevention groups. And funnily enough, the person that I was doing it with was one of my ex-partners from about 13 years before. So it was... Um, it was quite strange because she'd suffered with alcohol problems and yeah, but we sort of clicked and um, yeah, that was really well. And I, I started to do um, courses and um, like mental health. Um, yeah, I did my peer mentoring and I got that. And then obviously we got put in lockdown. Mm. It was quite, um, quite a cultural shock for everyone around the world, I think, you know, and um mm. I think within the first two weeks, I I struggled. I really panicked because my whole routine for the last mm. nine nine months nearly had been thrown completely out the window. And um, so I reached out to my counsellor, and um, she said, "I'm not good." She said, "I will always be blunt with you," but um, she said, "You're not the only one who's going through this at the moment. There's a millions and millions of people around the world." And when she said that, it sort of hit me that yeah, I, I wasn't the only one going through it. Yeah, and it sort of put my it put things back into perspective, you know, because I spent a lot of my time in this flat, using and drinking my life away, and I thought now we're in lockdown and I'm isolated, I'm cut off from a lot of people, and um, so it brought back a lot of memories of my times of using. But I knew at that point that I had the tools to understand how I was feeling, and like my mum literally lives around the corner, so um, when I used to go out for my exercise. I could um, like walk past, and um, and it was very tough on Devlin. Um, it, he, he's had, he had a lot of hot people in his life, mm. and he thought that I was stopping him from seeing people, which I wasn't. He just didn't understand that we was in lockdown and stuff. So, um, and mm. the first, yeah, he stayed at home with me for the first three months, and then I explained to the school how he was struggling, you know, and uh, you know I, I was. I was never good at school, so I tried to do the home learning with him, 
mm. with great difficulty. Yeah. But in the end, I started to teach, you know, I was teaching them how to cook. He was helping me. I started teaching them some life skills. I thought if I can't teach them educational things, then we'll do some life, life skills at the same time. And then, um, yeah, so I started when Boris, he's locked down and everything. I, I was doing groups online and everything. I was still helping people. And then by the end of 2020, um, 2021, um, yeah, everything was going well, you know, and I was at that point, I was going through court to see Carter and Bailey, but because of lockdown, it like knocked it back and everything was online and stuff like that. And then throughout that period, um, yeah, my boy's ex-partner, um, was throwing a lot of things in. She was adamant that I, I was a relapse waiting to happen. She said that I'd been clean before and I'd shown, showing that I'd relapsed. So what was the difference now? So, um, and that was, I, I, I accepted what she said because there was a lot of truth in it. But then at the same time, she, you know, she always knew that if I went to treatment and got, got therapy, the therapy I needed, I would stand a very good chance of maintaining sobriety in my life. Yeah. But, because of the damage I'd caused, um, she wasn't willing to accept that I was ready to change, you know, after two years, which I get, but then, so, <clears throat> and then, excuse me, and then, um, yeah, in April 21, um, yeah, my mum passed away. Um, of, she's had COPD for a long time, and, um, yeah, she went into hospital on a Friday, and um, so it was quite, and then I went up to see her on the Saturday and that's when the doctors told us that her lungs were, um, were gone. And, um, and I was with my sister and then I'd seen my dad for the first time. I'd seen him in the past, but we weren't speaking, we'd fell out and that was very tough. And then, um, my sister wanted to, my sister wanted to stay, but she didn't want to stay and stuff like that, you know? And, um, so I made the decision that I would stay with my mum because I didn't want her to be alone. And then, um, yeah, and then she was getting worse, you know, and I, I, I freaked out a bit and I phoned up my sister and said, oh, I don't think I can be here, not that I don't want to be here. And then, um, but she told me I was doing the right thing. And then, yeah, my mum passed away like about six hours later. But I was, you know, I was with her till the end. And as painful as it was, um, you know, she was my world. She bought, you know, she she taught me everything, you know, and we'd clashed in the past and, you know, we'd fell out for, I think, 18 months. We didn't speak, but she forgave me for that, you know, and we moved on and we addressed our issues, what we had with each other. And, um, like, she was a, a brilliant nan to my children and my, my nephews. And, um, yeah, to lose her... Um, it was, I think it, it defined me of, as who I was at that time because um, a lot of people were worried that uh, I would um, relapse, mm. which they had every right to be because, like, in the past, you know, trauma was a massive, a massive go-to for me that, yeah, I would go off and do things. But um, I didn't. I, I didn't get, I gave myself about two weeks to start off with. And um, I, I thought if I can get through that two weeks, like dealing with the funeral, then I knew I was going to be okay, you know. And um, and then, you know, I was, because of lockdown, there was only so many people allowed at the funeral, like, and, um, but I got up and spoke, you know, with my sister and um, 
you know, I did my mum proud, you know, because my mum, she sacrificed, she sacrificed everything for me and for my sister and for everyone. And, um, you know, she was such a kind person, but, you know, she, she helped me by looking after Devlin while I was in treatment. So she sacrificed 12 weeks of her life to help me get better, you know, and, um, and that's something that's kept me on the straight and narrow, you know, she didn't die in vain, you know, mm. um, and I've continued to stay on the right path, you know, and I've had moments in my life where I call it that button where I've wanted to hit it so many times and I've wanted to go off and do things that would take me away. But I understand now that it won't take me, you know, it's not drugs and alcohol won't make my life better. Mm. It will not, it will just, um, it will destroy everything what I've worked mm. so hard to get in my life where I am now. Yeah. Whereas in the past, I didn't have the capacity to understand that. I didn't understand the consequences of my addictions or what it would do to me or to everyone. So, um, and then, yeah, obviously I went back to college and yeah, I passed that. And, um, but yeah, and four years on, like I'm still trying to see my children. I was seeing them after three years of not, four years of not seeing them. I got permission, I got granted like contact last year and everything was going all right. But um, I kept my guard up um, because of things what had happened in the past. And then, yeah, in September, my boy's mum stopped my contact again. So um, it's been, um, it's been a tough six, seven months not seeing them. Mm. And obviously I'm going back through court and um, it's impacted on Devlin a lot. You know, yeah. he's, he's gone from not seeing his brothers to, um, to seeing them and to not seeing them so uh, I mean it's hard for me but I'm an adult and I can uh, try and understand the situation but for him he's 10 so um but yeah and I won't give up you know I think that's one one thing that I've got now um I love my children you know and I've worked I've come too hard come so far where I am in my life and um I'm not going to walk away from them you know um I am clean and I am sober and yeah, unfortunately I've got to put, not, not unfortunately, I've got to have a hair strand test to prove that I am. And, um, it's not a, like lots of people said to me, or oh, I bet you can't wait to get one over. I said, it, that's not, that's not why I'm doing it. You know, um, it's, it's not a competition. You know, these are my children and it's their, their lives as well. It's affecting, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that's where I am at the moment in my life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, what I feel a, like I just no, on. no, it was no, no. Don't feel like that at all. It's just, it's quite an emotional story, to be honest. Um, yeah, there's so much courage and bravery in your story, um, and you've had to go through some really significant challenges in your life, like the the things, the traumas that you've experienced. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of, it's quite heartbreaking, actually. It's for you to just be so vulnerable as well. That's so lovely. It's so lovely yeah. because your, your vulnerability will really help other people. And, yeah. and you know, I hope I can say this in the right way, but also because you're a man and you're being so open about your story, you know, I I know that men do just find it more difficult than women to be yeah, 100%. You know, um, I grew up, like, I think we grew up in a generation where it wasn't okay to speak about yeah. your feelings because you're a man and you were told to just 
suck it up, you know, like mm-hmm. as I was grow- like I said before, as I was growing up, you know, my dad was very because of his, his childhood and his upbringing. So it yeah. was I couldn't really really open up to my dad. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have that, you know, and like yeah, I, I like getting vulnerable because um that's what they taught me in treatment. It's um you know, I've done many of shares before, like on Facebook for my volunteering and stuff like that. And um like a few people have called me an inspiration and mm-hmm. I still struggle with praise, you know, mm-hmm. four years on nearly down the line. Um, praise is a massive thing for me because I always, in the past, I always used to think, why are you being nice to me? What do you yeah. want from me? Yeah. But now people are, gen- you know, I have to see the difference that they, you know, and when people tell me that they're proud of me, it's, um, it's a good feeling, but it's also, I- I'm still, not used to it so it's a bit um, alien almost it's very like, yeah, yeah you know it's um <laughs> when people say to me oh I was talking about you the other day you know and I'd think oh no what you know because of my yeah. past yeah I think yeah. oh what you know but and they went it's not bad news it's good news you know and yeah and to listen and lots of people have said that they've taken a lot for my shares and oh, to see me where okay. I am I, and that gives me the courage to open up and mm-hmm. be more honest you know because I think that's where I went wrong for many years. I, I was never honest with myself, and that's yeah. what my counsellor taught me. Like I've, I've got, I, when I was in treatment, I did life stories from when I was naught to fifteen, like my earliest memory. To and it was ten pages long, and like my counsellor was after reading it to her, um, she had to like, do, is it proof read it in case mm. there was things in there that couldn't be read to my group, yeah. and she was crying. By, mm. from the naught to 15 and then but and then I did uh, 15 plus which is from 15 to onwards to where I was mm. and that was 26 pages long yeah. and um and then when I read uh, that she cried and she said can I give you a cuddle you know oh. and um and then I had to read that out in front of my group and I was very panicky about that but um to like you just said, uh, my group said that I've been for a lot, lots and lots of trauma for someone at mm. my age. Yeah. So go through things like that. But yeah, and that's yeah, that's the difference where I am now. I, I understand how it it's okay if you're not feeling okay. But I, I yeah. like to be vulnerable to get yeah. a message across that as much as you want to keep things in and you can't speak about it to other people, speaking is the best best mm. way, you know. And um, yeah, and it helps me massively to. This is the first time I've done this show in a long time as well. Yeah. You know, it's what strikes me so much about your story as well is you're not a victim of the traumas and of your past. And it, and you can understand why people would be. I mean, there's a lot of pain in in a story like yours. You're, you're actually, you know, you're a warrior of it. Because yeah. I mean, you, you you've used you use it to propel forward. You accept it. You say, okay, this has happened. This has happened. I felt like this at the time. It's not an excuse, but it's how I felt at the time, and I didn't understand things the way that you know. You've obviously yeah. done a huge amount of self development, self growth, yeah. so much. Yeah, so I mean, much. I think for many years I did play the victim. I played. Mm. The, I call it the poor me. I did yeah. for a long time, and. Um, I thought my life, no one had had a bad life, more worse a life than me, yeah. you know. And, and obviously when I went into treatment and I started to listen to other people share their journeys and, you know, some of the stories, you know, what I'd heard, you know, were horrific. 
And mm. I thought, wow, maybe my life's been crazy, but, you know, it's not as crazy as this. So to understand yeah. that, you know, because we do, we think no one's had a worse life than us. Yeah. You know, I've been through this, I've been through that. And then to go into treatment and to listen to other people's journeys and how they've battled through. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look at thinking my life was quite tame, really. Mm. You know, that it wasn't tame in my eyes, but from what I've listened to. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of therapy. And then you can all relate and then you share how, yeah. you know, their stories inspired you. And yeah. I, I believe that's the right message, you know, to um, especially now I'm out. I believe that's the right message is to share your story and um, yeah. it would give people the courage to carry up, yeah. like open up and maybe do something, you know, mm. because um, it took me a long time, 20 years nearly to um, acknowledge that mm. I had a problem. You know, um, I, I thought I was invincible. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand how, how much of a grip alcohol and then substances would get hold of me, you know, and, mm. um, it sort of, I knew deep down I was a good person and I had a lot, mm. a lot of good things to offer, but um, I sort of built a, a, a brick wall for a long mm. time. I wouldn't let people in. You know, mm. I tried to go to counselling in the past and I just wouldn't let people, I thought, you're not getting in my head, you know, and yeah. so I was very resistant in trying to get help because I, I just thought it wasn't going to benefit me. You know, I, yeah. I thought I was a lost cause because I'd been to treatment before and I, I failed, but then now I look back at it and I didn't fail. I just didn't get the correct therapy mm. at the time, you know, mm. and, um, and even though I'm four years in, in June, I think in the last eight years I've been clean nearly seven. So, oh, but I, I take it from obviously when I relapsed in like 2017, yeah. I take it now, I take it from when I've got clean the second time. So it's a long period of time to be clean but like for the last four years it's been like the hardest four years but it's been the best because it's got the best out of me and yeah. it's made me realize that I can live life on life's terms without the things that used to um cause me pain as mm. much as like my friends would say we escape reality for the weekend I went, but then the next day or the next couple of days when you're on your hangover or you're on your come down, you're back to reality. There's no escape in reality. As much as we try to take ourselves away, it's mm. you're never going to, there's something there that's lingering either from your past or what's going on in your life now. Mm. And you continue to mask. And that's what I believe. We all wear masks. Mm. We can wear a mask every day with our feelings on, you know, how, how we project ourselves to other people. And um, I believe as an addict, um, we're very good at manipulating people. You know, um, we're, we're more better at manipulating ourselves. Yeah. That's the addict part. You know, there's always yeah. that part of me that in the past I would go weeks without doing anything. And then the addict part of my brain would tell me that, go on, just do one. Mm. Yeah. And, it, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't just be one. You know, I, I'm not really into cliches, but I believe in like ones too many, but a thousand yeah. is never enough. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I believe in like, I still go out now. I socialise. I play poker now and again with my friends, but I know my limits. You know, yeah. I'm like Cinderella, 12 o'clock, I'm home. You know, that's just um, me. But um, 
I was going to say, 12 yeah. o'clock, that's, that's a late yeah. night, that. That's the, yeah, I mean, obviously, if, yeah. But, um, I think it's like 10 o'clock for me now. Yeah, I mean, and like I, I've been in situations where people have done things around me, and mm. um, but I take myself out of that equation. You know, I've been invited yeah. to parties, after parties, come back to ours for a party. And I'm like, no, because I, you know, I, I know I would like, I know deep down in my heart, so I can say no. It's mm. easy saying no, but if something isn't right in my life at that moment in time and I go back to a party, then there's something inside of me that could trigger me. So I, that's how yeah. I protect myself and that's yeah. how I remain. Because it is a battle, you know, and I say to people, you know, I, um, I struggle every day. <clears throat> It doesn't matter how many years I've got or how many or days or whatever, I still mm-hmm. struggle, you know, and yeah. um yeah, that's just but I look at my life now mm-hmm. and there's still there's the madness in it, yeah, there's still there's still mad crazy things going on. I'm I'm mm-hmm. fighting for my life to see my children, but um I'm cleaning, I'm sober and I'm not mm-hmm. doing the things and I I'm in charge of my own destiny, you know, it's mm-hmm. like Someone said to me, we wouldn't have blamed you when, you know, when my mum passed away. I said, but I would have blamed myself, Yeah. you know, because I would have been, I would have been disappointed that I'd let everyone down. But this time I would have been more disappointed in myself that I'd let myself down, yeah. you know, and um, I, I do care about what people think, but I care about what I think about myself, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I think like you said about self-care, I do, you know, I, my counsellor when I was in treatment, he told me to go and look in the mirror and go and kiss the mirror. And I was like looking at him thinking, what are you talking about? You know, and he said, you know, you need to learn to love who you are. It's all good you learn and everything in treatment, but you need to look at when you wake up every morning, you need to look in the mirror and you need to love who you are, not let your, you know, other people's opinions define you. And um, Mm -hmm. it's not about, you want other people to love you and respect you, but it's about you loving yourself and respecting Mm -hmm. yourself. So I think that that's a major thing that, you know, I I look in the mirror every day and I I look at it that I've made it, you know, Mm -hmm. I've made it another day clean and sober. And that's how I, sometimes I take it day by day, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so... I know it's funny actually when you were saying that I was thinking it's almost like a process of you have to reparent yourself yeah in some ways because I think you know there especially if there is damage in childhood or at any time in life I mean I think I think most people have have got demons or they are a bit of a victim of their past sometimes. You know, I, I rarely meet someone that says, oh, no, my life's been utterly yeah. perfect <laughs> up until this yeah. moment. So I think when you stop drinking, you have this period of where you just, you you almost like have to start learning how to just look after yourself, the basic yeah. things. And that does do a lot for building that kind of, that self-love and, I think that trust as well, you know, that self-trust that you feel like you can trust yourself when you, especially when you have a good period as well of sobriety. And that's not to say, you know, like you were saying, I do, I do understand some people have to take it a day at a time. And I was thinking when you were talking about that, that one of the things that I think people can sometimes get caught out with is that, you know, life is not rainbows and roses and, you know, it is up and down. Like life is always up and down. There are always going to be traumas or big traumas, little traumas or challenges, difficult situations. And 
it's just normal to go through life and experience the the sort of good and bad it can't all be good and I think sometimes when we drink we're constantly just trying to block out the bad like ignore the bad and just like let's focus on the good all the time but that's unrealistic it's just just Mm. not not the way life is so I think that it's wise to to be like the way you were saying which is just you know keep keep kind of a little bit guarded with yourself you know some things can come come along in life that can be a bit derailing and it's about trying to get through those and navigate those without alcohol and and substances but that yeah that's not a you thing or a me thing that's that's everybody's life isn't it it's yeah I mean I think we take like for granted I mean alcohol it's um it's one of the biggest it's there it's around you it's everywhere you go on a train a plane everywhere you know it's so but it does. When you're like, when I was young, I, I didn't understand, the, you know, where my alcohol journey would take me, you know, yeah. and um, it's it, it's not frowned upon, you know, whereas mm. substances is, you know, and it's that, just that stereotype that, you know, mm. drugs is worse than alcohol. But mm. to me, it's not. It's exactly the same. It does enough damage. You know, alcohol is the biggest killer. If, if I was going to say, yeah. I was literally about to say the same thing. Alcohol kills way more people. Than, than drugs it's just that yeah. alcohol is legal um but yeah I know I, I I this whole stigma around drugs being worse it's this yeah it's weird <laughs> yeah. it's just it's, it's just bad marketing really in some yeah, ways definitely. because because it's it, it's all bad let's let's put it yeah. it's all bad um and you're right I mean I you know I'm similar age to you I'm 45 so I grew up in that same time as you and yeah and alcohol was there were no there were no labels like there was no warning it was just like my parents drank and well my mum drank a lot and we always had parties and my mum was always drunk and I as a teenager I just fell into drinking experimenting with drugs I was the same it was normal and I think that's that's a challenge for people of kind of of our generation and and people older than us that I don't think it's not as prevalent in the younger generation like I meet people that are in their 20s now or and they just they just don't seem to drink as much it's just not they're more focused on health and you know maybe your kids and my kids they they might not fall into the same type of framework yeah yeah because it's not been it's not it's you know it's not it, I do think that the conversation and the image of drinking, I do think that will continue to change. I, I believe alcohol's it's changed and there's a lot more research put into yes. it. Could there yeah. be more? Yeah, there could be more. Could there be more help and support? Because I, I understand the statistics. Like when I come home from treatment, um, normally you go to a dry house and relocate, but I couldn't do that because I had mm. definitely, you know, I had, I had a life to come back to and... Um, so, and I think the statistics that if someone they call it when you come home from treatment, you're going back to your old stomping grounds, mm. which is a you know you're going back to being around where your life was, and it's very dangerous. And I think they say out of so many people, I think twenty, I think sorry my stats, there was thirteen percent who gone home after twelve weeks had, relap- had relapsed. They didn't oh. make it, you know. So the statistics. Uh, are there you know and like mm. one of my 
counsellors or key workers, they used to say there's three things you can get from this. That's recover, relapse or die, you know. And uh, again, they're very blunt, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's it. And, you know, and I thought, well, I know what I want. I want yeah. to recover. Yeah. Because I've relapsed and the next step is death, you know, and, 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 and that's where, you know, um, my, my life took me, you know, it was, it was either going to take me out mentally, like, cause that, cause I was amphetamine with my finger and that's very damaging, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, sleep deprivation, um, yeah. and then alcohol on top, you know, so well, it was either going to take me out mentally or mm-hmm. it was like, it, would I say I've come close to death? I, I'd say, yeah, a few times I've, you know, I've, I've been in situations where, I've used more than my nine lives, you know. Um, I think one of the most horrific ones is I got drunk and I collapsed in the middle of a, the link road and there was a lorry beeping at me to get up and I got up, you know. And again, that's I look at it now and, it, and it's scary, but when you're yeah. in that moment in time, you just um, mm. you don't think of it. And I had a lot yeah. of times where I, you know, I, I used to drink for confidence, you know, and I'd be, and I'd go to parties and I'd be that clown, you know, yeah. to make people like me. And I was yeah. like that at school, you know, mm. I was always the clown of the class. I, I got attention at home, but I didn't get all the attention I needed at home and stuff like that. So I'd project mm. that in school and I, mm. I'd get attention in the wrong ways, you know, and that sort of carried on throughout my life. I didn't understand, you know, that I didn't need everyone's attention to mm. be the way I was, you know, and, yeah. yeah again it's a stigma so yeah yeah that's so interesting actually when you when you were saying that I was thinking oh my god that was me <laughs> I I was like that I was the class clown always outside in detention always yeah. talking too much and I'd never really thought about it like that 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 yeah I think because my my parents would argue a lot and my mum would drink a lot and that would obviously create you know some inner conflict for me that I wasn't really aware of probably because I was just young you don't know what's going on do you but and yeah. that was probably just coming out and it's because yeah maybe I was just trying to get attention I just never thought about it like that um, yeah I mean I believe like I'm a firm believer in learnt behavior you know mm-hmm. and I, I believe like lots of people say that it's a disease addiction and I get it from their aspects but I, I believe like if you know if you keep going if you stand outside a barber shop. I always say this to people, if you keep standing outside a barbershop, then one day you're going to go in and you're going to get your hair cut. And I believe yeah. that with alcohol and I believe yes. that with substances, you know, if you, if you keep repeating that pattern, if yes. you keep standing out there, you know, and cause I did in the past, the first time I got clean and sober, I was playing skittles every Monday. I was playing pool on a Wednesday, pool on the Sunday so I was still exhibiting those behaviours of a, mm. a drunk. Of they a call drinker. it the dry. They call it the yeah. dry drunk. The That's dry drunk. Point. Yeah. Yes. I was still exhibiting all those behaviours, but I was just I was dry, mm. you know, and I yes. didn't understand that, you know, that I was dicing with dangerous things, you know, and off, yeah. and then. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I say about if you stand outside the barbershop, sooner or later you're going to get your hair cut, and that's what yeah. I did for me, you know. I, I went two years, and then, yeah, I, I yeah. fell off the off the wagon dramatically so yeah I mean I like using words like that terminology yeah people will understand it like that you know so I agree I, mean, I, I think 
Sorry, I was going to say, I think you have, a, you have a real talent for explaining things. Like you're really good at expressing stuff. And I think, I love that at the barbershop. I agree, I very much agree with you on this. And I know it's a, it's a bit of a tricky subject because people have a lot of views on things like alcohol use being disease and, and things like that. But I am the same as you. I, I don't believe that people are born inherently broken that they have right. this thing already and that actually you have it for the rest of your life. And I, I believe the same as you, that we, for whatever reasons, all different reasons, a lot of those reasons are trauma or having difficult, complicated relationships with ourselves or the people around us yeah. fall into a destructive coping, coping mechanism, which is yeah. drinking or taking drugs or yeah. porn addiction, or gambling. Yeah, there's or many forms. Phone, yeah. Phone, yeah. Over, over scroll, you know, scrolling yeah. on TikTok all day. Whatever it is, they are coping mechanisms. They are trying to change your current state so that you go off somewhere else, so that you don't have to think about what's going on around you, so that you can numb out and that you can forget. And if you do that thing enough with an addictive substance, you get addicted. It's just yeah. that simple. I mean, I, like you said, I, um, when people, when you say the word addiction, automatically people think um, drugs or alcohol. Mm. You know, it's one of the two. But they, you know, they, like you said, there's many addictions. There's porn Loads. addiction. There's gambling, yeah. food, exercise. exercise. You know, um, yeah. Like I, I said to my friend, if you drink twenty cups of coffee a day, you got yeah. a problem with caffeine. Yeah. That's an yes. addiction, you know. That's yeah. um, a stimulant, and 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 they don't they they think oh now you've said it like that now you've broke yeah. it down like that you know I yeah. said of course it is it's caffeine you know it's because yeah. um, I had a bad pop I still I had a really bad problem with energy drinks yeah I I've calmed down on the way I used to be but if I wasn't using or drinking I'd be mm. drinking countless I think I used to do about ten a day mm. energy drinks and but yeah. you don't understand how dangerous yeah. they are. Because mm. they get promoted so well, you know, mm. and you're thinking, oh, they wouldn't be promoting something if it was that bad. And then you mm. look at, you look at, you see news reports yeah. where, like in America, people have got these triple shots of yeah. alcohol, no energy drinks, and one of them's yeah. killed them. They've had a heart attack because their body oh, couldn't God. handle that amount of Nightmare. caffeine. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah like you said, it, it's not. We've just got too much around us, haven't we? That is the problem. It, it, it's it's a pro and a con, I think, of modern day life. And I've, I've been reading that book called Dopamine Nation, which talks about all the different ways that we can get dopamine, which is through like things that we yeah. that we just talked about. Um, and but a lot of that is just because we're so instant gratification. You know, we want the fix now, and we just go yeah. online, bang, we get it. Like we shop, deliver yeah. Amazon next day, or whatever it is. Everything is at the end of our fingertips, and so it, it's it is actually really if you're you know if you've got a lot of things going on in life, or you're or you're or you're you know finding life pretty stressful, difficult, whatever. It's so easy to see how easy it is to fall into these traps with all these with all yeah. these different substances or behaviors or devices or, or whatever. Humans are just trying to escape pain, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. And that doesn't make us bad. But yeah. yeah, like like you say, you have to just be on the ball, don't you? And aware yeah. of it. I, I think mean, things are more accessible. Yes. Than That's what it. they were 20 years ago, you know. Yeah. Um 
you didn't yeah. have you had the internet but the internet wasn't of the age where you could go on facebook and stuff like that or mm. you could order things like you said get them the next day whereas now it's yeah. like your fingertips you know you can yeah. just you know it, i had an addiction with tiktok throughout yeah. lockdown you know i had a really bad problem with it i was just constantly i thought i've just wasted three hours of my life on tiktok yeah and then that that's how they grab you you know yeah. that's how they draw you in an audience and I mean, yeah, I but I enjoyed doing TikTok. I did quite a few, and it a lot of people laughed at them, you know, throughout lockdown. It get it. Mm. I thought if it makes people laugh because we're going through yeah. tough times, you know. And um, I think on one video, I got like um, half a million views. God. So, but then I reined it in. I thought I don't yeah. need to keep doing it because I was doing it all the time. I thought, yeah, let's, and then it just reminded me of my past being a clown. Mm. But this yeah. time I've been a clown for a whole wide audience. Yeah. A worldwide yeah. audience, yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so, I mean, and I, yeah. like you said about you read it, I like, um, there's a bloke called Gabor Mate. I'm not Do sure. Do you know what? It's so weird. I wrote yeah. this down in my book. So I was thinking, yeah. you must, you would love him. <laughs> so I think it's yeah. really funny I, that you're going to say I, it. Um, I listen to him a lot. Um, yeah. I do, um, like when I come out of treatment, I put a lot of weight on. Yeah. Um, I put like three stone on and then lockdown didn't help. And then um, at the end of 2020, I started to do 10 miles a day on my bike. I started to eat healthy mm. and um, I lost nearly, you know, just over two, two stone, two and a half stone nearly. And, uh, wow. but when I was doing, I remember Gable Matty, someone mentioned him in treatment. Yeah. He did the try the triangle pyramid about the trauma, um, like the victim and the perpetrator. Yeah. So I started to listen to him and stuff like that, and um, I'm fascinated. He's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was yeah. getting addicted. I was getting obsessed by because yeah. when things were getting tough, I thought, "Why? Right, I'll go on my bike ride, and I'll listen to what he's got to say." And, yeah, um, yeah. Like you said about he didn't have a, he didn't have a problem with alcohol or drugs or anything like that. But he said one day he was in hospital, given but like the woman was in labour. And then he went off on his lunch break and he went in and then he missed the labour because he went into a music shop and he spent £3,000 on a Mozart CD and started speaking to someone for three hours about music. So he had an addiction with buying things and he had an addiction with music. He didn't have it from, and and, and that's what he said about the stigma. We don't understand. We can Mm. get addicted to many things. And I I always tell people, like, if a few people reach out to me and they struggle and I send them his links and stuff like that, you know, I said, just Mm. listen to it. He may sound a bit crazy to start off with, but if yeah. you listen to him, he knows exactly yeah. what he's talking about, you know. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm a great. I love his. I love his talks. I've I've, yes. I've listened to countless of them, and yeah. I've got one of his books. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Is it the you know, Re- the realm of hungry hungry ghosts? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a new one out as well, the myth of normal, um, which I got on audiobook. But yeah, no, he's he's amazing, and I and I love the way when. The first time I listened to him, he said, it's never why the addiction, it's why the pain. And I love that because yeah. I think that's Yeah, just, definitely, yeah. I think that that makes people, that softens the lens, I think, of how you look at addiction because I do think there is a stigma and I, I find it frustrating now, yeah. that, that, that stigma, because even people that are sort of like sleeping rough on the on the streets so many people will just look down at that like well just you know don't give yeah. them money because they'll get drugs and it's just it's just such an it's just such a a kind of negative way to look at another human being who's clearly suffering 
in life? Yeah, I, don't, I think I, I, I believe that we all judge people when we yeah. don't mean to. You know, we could all look at someone and think, oh, I wonder what's going on in their life because of the way their appearance may be or, like you said, yeah. being homeless given the situation they're in. But we don't sometimes sit back and think, oh, I wonder what's happened in their life Absolutely. For them to be in that situation. Yes. You know, and like you just said, um, pain, you know, obviously yeah. they've had some painful moments in their life for them to be mm. in that situation. And mm. like, you know, as I grew up from grew up in school, you know, everyone used to teach us, what do you want to be when you're older? You know, I never put my hand up and said, I want to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. Mm. You know, I wanted to be a firefighter or a doctor or something or be like my dad. You know, that's what everyone wants to be like. Yeah. But yeah. Again, I, I didn't put my hand up and w- wanted to be like that, you know. Mm. And so, again, there's that stigma of people don't understand what other people uh, have yeah. been through for them yeah. to be in that point in their life, you know, just yeah. because you walk around and you're fully clothed and you look clean and stuff mm. like that. You know, everyone just thinks, well, they're like, they're OK, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where the stigma is people don't understand that. And they look at the homeless people and they instantly think, well, they're they bought it upon themselves. Yeah, you know, to, I know, it's in a, sad. In a certain way, they may have bought it upon themselves, but to, for them to be in that way, it doesn't yeah. mean that they in, they deserve to be the they way they are. They deserve it, yes. Yeah. No, completely agree, yeah. And that's um, why, you know, I, I was given another chance, so. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I mean, and you've done amazing things, and the fact that you got qualified as well as a chef, I mean, that, how that's just so awesome, isn't it, yeah. to come through the other side and pour it into something and to achieve something that you must feel really proud of yourself for. So yeah, really massive. Well done. What would you say would be your top three tips for people that are listening to sort of get clean, sober and stay there? Um, I think the first one, the first one for me was be honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, Listen to other people, accept their help. Um, but listen to yourself at the same time. You know, that's if you're struggling, reach out for the help and hopefully you'll get the help you need. And yeah. I'd say the second one is um, I'm a great, don't give up on yourself as much as you want to give up on yourself. Um, your life may be tough or really hard, but just don't give up on yourself because if you want to get better, you, can, you know, I believe you can either get stay bitter or you can get better, you know, and yeah. that's how I, that's how I, I was bitter for a long time. But then I understood that I've got better, you know, and, yeah. and I think the third one is um, just be you, continue to be you, mm-hmm. no matter how hard your struggle is, you know, and I, I believe, yeah, it will get you where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much yeah. today. I think people are absolutely spot on when they say that you're an inspiration. I think you have been a true inspiration today. So much vulnerability, just so much courage to get to where you are and then to not only achieve what you've achieved, but to then come and share it in the way that you've done it and been so open yeah. about it. It's been lovely. And Thank you. I'm, I appreciate I'm, that. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And I honestly, I wish you all the very best. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and congratulations on nearly four years. What an achievement. Yeah, thank you ever so much. Awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, 
please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.